This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Hello, welcome to the next episode of Anchored in Christ, the podcast of sermons from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. I'm Deborah Owen, I'm the music director and elder here at the church, and I'm here with Reverend Dr. Sarah Singleton, our pastor. Um, we're going right into the first sermon series, which is, um, and we talked about this in our first episode, that this first series is based on the book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You. So why a series about the soul, Sarah? What is the soul anyway? We started to talk about it a little bit in episode one, but let's dive into it just a little bit more. The soul is the real you. It is what God created. It's the you that will endure for eternity. And it's the easiest part to neglect because the soul does not clamor for attention and yet it shows all the symptoms. It's a little bit like having a dashboard of your car that has got a, a symbol or a color that's flashing. And yet if you're driving and wanting to get somewhere, you may just ignore it. Same mm-hmm. with our soul. Mm-hmm. A dissatisfied soul would be a sign of um, a discontent, never satisfied, or a sense of uncertainty about who one is or where you're going. Mm-hmm. It could also be um, something as a secret loneliness that mm. no one seems to know but you yourself. Mm. You ask what a soul is. Mm-hmm. I think the best help for this came from an author who's deceased now, Dallas Willard. He describes the soul not only as the real you, but the composite, which at the very center is our will. And our will expresses itself by how we choose. And the other is the mind, Mm -hmm. what we're thinking. What's going on in terms of how we view reality? And then the third is the body. The body does what the will and the mind choose. Mm -hmm. So what we can see in a soul is that we ourselves in our will, our mind, and our body are interacting with the world and we are interacting with God. Mm. It's it's hard to grasp what the soul is, but I think you're right, Dallas Willard's explanation is about as close as we're going to be able to get to fully understanding it, so that helps a lot. Um, and, and why do people ignore their soul, what, and what's the danger of that? Well, I mentioned mm-hmm. driving a car that is really a bad engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the danger is that we are harming ourselves mm-hmm. and that we're harming other people. You can have a... Um, uh, a good uh, uh, house, a lovely house, or a, a fine career, or you can have a, a healthy body, and yet be damaging people, and actually hurting the people who love you the most, mm-hmm. or you can be shrinking in terms of any kind of uh, service in response to God's love. There is a danger of ignoring the soul when we're so focused on the externals. Mm, yeah. So um, 
what, what, what we're looking at right now is, is the fact that if you listen back to episode one, you'll discover that Sarah was dealing with some illness at the time that she was writing this first sermon series. And so you did not deliver this sermon, although you wrote it. Elder Kara Knicker delivered it, and she preached it for you and eloquently adds a bit of herself and her own experiences here and there. But the core message clearly comes from Sarah Singleton. Um, so a key message that you wanted people to understand from this sermon, which is restored versus stuck soul? <laughs> well, uh, stuck mm -hmm. means that what our soul is experiencing, we are not effective to change. And so coming from Psalm 23, he restores my soul, thinking mm -hmm. of the shepherd and the sheep. It's the image that uh, the psalmist David writes, when a shepherd helps a sheep that is flailing on its back with a load of wool that's mm. keeping it in a depression and it's helpless to mm. get unstuck and the shepherd delivers that sheep upright mm -hmm. dusts it off mm -hmm. takes care of kind of any injuries but is necessary for the sheep in the same way Jesus is the restorer of our souls. Mm -hmm. He's the one that when we are actually helpless to change anything about what's happening, whether we're hurting other people or hurting ourselves, or completely shrinking in our faith or our response to God, he's the one that comes and reaches us mm. and restores us. That's, That's what the sermon is going to be about. That's great. Let's dive right into the sermon. Last night I was at a... Um, baseball fundraiser for, for Sammy and Freddie. And so I have baseball in my mind. So what I'm doing today is pinch hitting for Sarah, um, who was gracious enough to have all of this prepared. So I'm just the mouthpiece <laughs> and just grateful for Sarah's time and effort. And I, I know you'll join in my prayers that she achieves a full recovery. So some words have a bad connotation. And one of those words is stuck. Stuck in traffic, stuck in a waiting room, stuck in a bad relationship or depressive feelings, stuck doing the same old thing and feeling the same ways year after year. One of my favorite novels is Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And one of his best known characters was uh, Miss Havisham, who was a, a woman who was appointed in love she was dressed in her gown and veil on her wedding day with the reception hall laden with flowers and food and a tall wedding cake, but the groom never came. And Miss Havisham became stuck. 20 years later, when we first meet her in the novel, she's still wearing her wedding dress. The wedding cake is still on the table in her mansion, but it's covered with dust and infested with mice. Ew. <laughs> Imagining seeing Miss Havisham and her cake is awful enough, but what would it be like to see inside your own soul, into your interior world, to the you that nobody else knows? Is it possible to be stuck somewhere on the inside of you, causing all kinds of problems in your outer world? Do you wonder why you never seem to change that much? Why problems don't ever seem to resolve? It may come from a condition that is much deeper than the surface problem. 
It may come from a stuck soul. Today we begin a sermon series titled Soul Searching. So each week we'll look at the state of our soul, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the choice that is before us. The series takes us through the season of Lent that begins this Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, and it ends with Easter. The season of Lent gives us an opportunity to change, to get unstuck in our souls so that we may share more and more of the likeness and mind of Christ. So today we're going to look at, first of all, what is the soul and what is a stuck soul? And finally, how does God restore the soul? So what is the soul? If you ask that question to, if you ask that question to many people, about half may hold a Looney Tunes theory of the soul. So think, think Bugs Bunny cartoons. Imagine Daffy Duck, when he gets blown up with dynamite, there's a transparent image of Daffy floating up from the dead body, and this translucent image maybe has wings and carries a harp. And from the air, this apparition would speak down to Bugs Bunny, who set off the dynamite, and he says, you know what he says, if you're of the right age, he says, you're despicable. <laughs> but if the soul is not defined by Warner Brothers' imagination, what is it? So let's look, about, look to the Bible about what it says about the soul. The first time we encounter the soul in the Bible is in the second chapter of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. That's in the King James Version. The NRSV uses the word being. The Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. The Old Testament uses the word soul 755 times. What we want to understand is that God not only created us, he breathed into each and every one a soul. The soul is the life principle, the whole person. And what we don't usually consider is that God himself has a soul. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, we read in God's words, Behold my servant, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Also in Isaiah, in chapter 1, verse 4, when speaking about empty worship, God says, your, your appointed feasts my soul hates. Testament in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now, the soul is not the same thing as the self. The self is something that we construct. Assembly is required. Think of the number of self-help books out there, self-magazine. The culture we live in is all about the self. Everything in our lives revolves around ourselves. Listen to our, listen to our words. If you feel something missing inside, you need to fulfill yourself. Take care of yourself. Believe in yourself. Express yourself. Love yourself. I notice personally, that as our culture grows more and more frenetic and more fractured and more disconnected, even as technology offers up, up the illusion of connection, I read more and more about the need for self-care. This usually, in women's magazine speak, 
involves bubble baths and yoga and spa treatments and me time. And this is supposed to be an antidote to a world that seems like it's losing its grip and pushing us right along with it. So all that focus on the self, how is that working out for us? Is there more to the self than what we create? The well-known psychologist Martin Seligman has a theory about why there is more depression now than ever before. His theory is that as individuals, we have replaced church, faith, and community with this tiny little unit that we call the self. We live as though everything depends upon it. But the problem is that the self crumbles under its own weight. It's not strong enough to carry the whole meaning of one's life. It's not strong enough to carry the whole meaning of one's life. What if your self is a train wreck? What are you supposed to do then? The self is not your soul. It is a creation of God. The soul reminds us that we were not made for ourselves. We were made for God. Your soul is your real life, the you that God made, the you whom Jesus came to save, the you that has an eternal destiny. Think about that. The soul is your real life. It functions kind of like an operating system, like Microsoft Windows or Mac OS. Like an operating system, your soul has the capacity to integrate all the many parts of you into a single and whole life. So if you look at the cover of your bulletin, which was designed to be your soul integrates. So throughout the series, we're going to take a closer look at all these various aspects of the soul. At the center of the soul is your will. That's our capacity to choose. The will seeks freedom. Enslaved people, people who have no freedom, are dispirited. They've lost the freedom to choose. Then comes our mind, the thoughts and feelings we possess. The mind craves peace. We're always looking for what it will take to have peace of mind. Then we have our body, our own little kingdom unto itself. The body wants contentment. When the soul is healthy, it is well-ordered. There's harmony between the will, the mind, and the body. The soul seeks to integrate these three entities into a whole and healthy person, rightly related, related to God, to other people, and to all of nature. If we, won't, if we don't want to end up like Miss Havisham, we have to ask ourselves, what is a stuck soul, and how can we avoid it? A stuck soul is when the will and the mind and the body are disintegrated, disconnected from God, and living at odds with the way God designed the universe to run. We find ourselves stuck in a rut, and our self cannot help. Our will is powerless, our mind is clueless, and our body is useless to pull it all together. Symptoms of a stuck soul are never being satisfied, possessing a deep secret loneliness, and being unsure of who you are or what life is about. In Psalm 23, which is known as the Shepherd's Psalm, it says in verse 3, He restores my soul. 
So it draws upon the image of a shepherd restoring a cast sheep. You may wonder, what is a cast sheep? In Psalm 42, verse 11, we read, Why are you cast down, O my soul? This is the same imagery. A cast sheep is an old term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and cannot get up by itself again. So it happens like this. A sheep will lie down comfortably in a little hollow or a depression in the ground. It may wriggle onto its side to stretch out or relax, but it turns back far enough and the center of gravity shifts so that its feet can no longer touch the ground. You can picture a little sheep on its back with its legs and arms flailing. So a sheep will feel a sense of panic and start to paw the air frantically trying to get up without start to paw the air frantically trying to get up without success. A cast sheep is a pathetic sight to see. It represents the cast soul, the stuck soul. Let's look at what a, a stuck soul might look like. The following is bar borrowed from John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping. And I promise it is from a book. Sarah didn't write this referring to me, but I did wonder. <laughs> a mom struggles to create the perfect home. Her husband doesn't help much. That's not true of Maya. <laughs> she doesn't tell him how much she resents it, mostly because she's always been afraid of conflict. She's angry with her children for not being perfect, for not being on track to get into the right school, for not making her look good as a mom. She's angry at her body for aging. Feeling attractive has been the one unforced sense of worth in her life, and it's ebbing away. She withdraws. She drinks a little too much. <laughs> she gossips with her friends about her other friends. She finds ways to fill her time. She thinks that the problem is her husband or her kids or her age, but it's not. It is her soul. So how does God restore Shepherd's song to hear it again? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When a shepherd encounters a cast sheep, the first thing he does is gently roll the sheep over on its side and carefully lift it to its feet. Straddling the sheep between the legs, the shepherd then begins to massage each little limb in order to restore circulation, all the while talking gently and encouragingly. You can imagine a shepherd saying, I'm so glad I found you in time, you little rascal. <laughs> this is what God does with your cast soul. Many people have the idea that when we fall or find ourselves frustrated and helpless, God becomes disgusted or fed-usted or fed up or even furious with us. This simply is not so. Let's listen again to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse verses 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So how can Jesus restore our soul? 
He is the gate. The image that comes to mind is when a shepherd has his flock in the countryside, making a small enclosure of rocks or of a grotto or cave, laying down on the entrance of the enclosure or grotto, becoming its only way in. Jesus is the gate. Whoever enters through him will be saved. Saved from past sins, this is known as justification. Saved from sin's dominating power in the present, known as sanctification. And saved through passing into his presence in death, or glorification. Do you see Jesus inviting the will to respond? There is one door and anyone may enter it. Entering salvation through Jesus Christ is entering the freedom the will was made for. The second thing we notice is that anyone who enters will be safe. To be able to go in and out means feeling secure. Jesus offers the security that our mind craves. Our mind wants to be at peace. The third thing we notice is that anyone who enters will be satisfied. Jesus promises that we will find pasture. He will give us abundant life, which, as scripture speaks of it, is above all the contented life, the very thing your body desires. The sign of a restored soul is contentment. The confidence that God indeed supplies all our genuine needs, knowing that we are saved, safe, and satisfied. If your soul is restored, no external circumstances can destroy your life. If your soul is stuck, no external circumstances will make your life lastingly better. So what is the condition of your soul? If your soul knows the freedom, the peace, and the contentment that Jesus offers, bless him with your whole heart as you receive from him later at the table of our Lord. The good shepherd gave his life in order that you may have abundant life. If your soul, however, is cast down or stuck, then this is a day of good news proclaimed to you. God has a better life for you. He's able to set you on your feet. You can move again. You can enter the gate of salvation and go in and out in security with new vistas on life, more than you ever imagined. You can know true peace and experience deep contentment. Come to the Lord's table this morning and receive restored and have abundant life. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.